Chris Horton. He is the executive director of City Team, formerly employed by Because People Matter. Is, is that where you met Stephen? Uh, it is, yes. Okay, so very good friend of Stephen's, and as you know, Stephen recruits his friends to do fun things. So <laughs> thank you, Lance. Thank you, Lori. Yes, he calls me when he needs a vacation so I can show up and do his job for him. Um, and I just want to pre precurse this with I am not a pastor. Um, or a teacher, or really even a good public speaker. In fact, public speaking terrifies me. Um, but you all look like a pretty nice and docile audience, so I will do my best uh, to not bore you today. Um, when Stephen asked me to, to come share my story and experience, um, I, I do this often, but mostly it's to, to two types of crowds. Um, either other alcoholic and addicts like myself in a very safe room where it's easy to be vulnerable because we're all uh, really messed up, um, or to young kids. And, and I shared my experience specifically to junior high and high school kids um, because I wonder sometimes if I had had 46-year-old version of Lance, not 46, I'm 47, 47-year-old version of Lance uh, had come to my high school and shared this story with me that maybe I would have made a few different decisions. Um, so I truly, I tr and, and who knows, maybe not, but I truly enjoy that crowd. So you all is a new crowd for me, so I don't know how this is going to go, um, but I'll just kind of start. Um, so my name is Lance, and, and who, who is Lance? Uh, I had a mentor um, early, early on in my journey ask me that question. He says, sit me down. We just met. He said, so who is Lance Orton? And I thought about that and I said, well, you know, I'm Lance. I went to San Diego State and got a degree in business. And he said, no, 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 no. I want to know who you are. And I said, okay. Uh, I'm the son of Ken Orton and my mom, Gail, um, and my brother. He stopped me. No, I'm not asking you that. I'm asking who you are. And I, I stumbled through this for, for a very long time. Um, in fact, over the next few years, he, every time I would see him, he would ask me that question. And I have yet to be able to give him an answer that satisfies him. Um, it, it seems, and this is a good segue into my story, it seems like my identity had always been wrapped up in accomplishments. Um, who, who I was connected to, um, what I had done in life or was doing. Um, today, I'm the executive director of City Team, and oftentimes people say, who are you? That's the first thing I lead with. And it's really not the answer to that question. So I'm going to do my best to try and, through my story, um, answer that question in a better way. And I wish he was here today because maybe I'll get it right. Um, so a little bit of background. Um, my parents were very, what I would consider normal. Um, had a, a great dad who uh, was a great provider. Um, when we, we grew up in Southern California, and uh, he was a Lego salesman. So my little brother and I had more Legos than any kids on the block, and we, we loved that. Um, my mom was a Montessori school teacher, um, and all she really, her aspirations in life were to be a mom. Um, and so um, it was, I thought it was all very normal. And around, gosh, I can't do the years, I'm going to say early 80s, uh, I was born in 75, so around 82, seven years old, my dad got a big promotion, got a big opportunity to go work for some fancy company in Dallas, Texas, and um, 
it was a significant raise, it was a significant increase in title um, and responsibility. And unfortunately, um, it led to an eventual divorce between my parents. Um, so between seven and 12, my dad's career was going this way. Um, my mom was being a wonderful mom and their marriage was falling farther and farther apart. And um, in 2000, no, that's not true. By the time I was 12, they had divorced and my father um, had had an affair and um, continued to be successful in business, but really started to fail as a, as a father, and certainly fail as a husband. And 12, 13 years old, pretty impressionable time. Um, and my dad was my hero. Uh, I really, really looked up to him. And when this started to happen, I really struggled processing um, what, what that meant. How could my hero do something like this? And so I really buried it. I just pushed it to the side, and I decided by the time I was 13 that divorce was a adult problem, and I wanted nothing to do with it. So I decided I was just going to go be a teenager. And so at 13, I quickly became a 17, 18-year-old. And um, that was a really, for lack of a better term, experimental time for me, um, and not in a good way. Um, I, I, my mom was heartbroken. My dad went to San Francisco. We were stuck in Texas, which... I did not like as a, as a beach kid growing up in Southern California. Dallas, Texas was not a fun place to be. And so um, I decided that I was going to misbehave because I wanted to be out in San Francisco where my dad was. And I knew that if I misbehaved long enough, and remind you, I'm 14 years old, so I'm planning how to get kicked out of my mother's house and sent to my father's uh, house in San Francisco. I mean, the, the level of being able to manipulate at that age, looking back, I'm just going, oh, my poor mother. So it worked. Um, I got myself kicked out and sent to my dad's house. And my dad was um, an early dot-com guy. We're in the 90s now. He started a dot-com company that made millions and millions of dollars. And I wanted that. I wanted to be rich. Um, and it worked. I got there and I instantly went to the most expensive Catholic school in San Francisco. I was driving a BMW at 17 years old and I had this great apartment in the Marina District. And I thought, man, this, this is great. And, and my dad, um, who was my hero, for better or worse. Um, the next series of my life was the pretty normal go to college, got a degree, had some success. Um, I was using drugs and alcohol, what I would have thought considered normally, like, like everyone else in college and high school was, and I never thought it was harmful. Um, my dad dabbled in, in, in certain drugs growing up, and he was successful uh, by the measure I was using at the time, and so I just never thought it was going to be a problem for me. And so, um, after college, um, I got into a fancy computer tech sales job. I was making a lot of money at 22 years old. And my dad um, had sold his company and moved up to Napa Valley, wine country. And he started this 80-acre horse ranch with um, horses and had a big wedding facility. And it was like a guest resort retreat ranch. And he asked if I would come up uh, with him and, and help him run it. And I thought, man, this is this is this is great. I get to go back with my dad again, and you know, I, I knew that I wasn't going to have to worry about money while I was there because he was very wealthy. And for about a year and a half, we had time. I had such a great time with him. It was a really bonding um, time. I had I had some, a chance to ask him some difficult questions about 
um, the marriage of my mom, and um, I really don't remember the exact answers he gave me, but I think I was so blinded by um, the fact that my father was there and, and present in my life, um, and we became real good buds. Well, um, I experienced heartbreak around 2002. I had a girlfriend up there, fell in love, first love, and um, she, we wound up breaking up. I'll spare the, the details there, but it was the first heartbreak a 22-year-old kid uh, experienced, and it really hurt. I mean, this was the one, the one I was going to marry and have kids with. She wound up moving back down to San Diego, and I was um, stuck on this 80-acre ranch up in the hills of Napa Valley, and just my dad and I and my stepmom. And so um, I started to, the drugs and alcohol started to become more of a medicinal thing at that point. I noticed that if I drank a couple extra glasses of wine, that pain of losing my girlfriend didn't hurt as bad. And, you know, my dad drank a lot of wine, and I just thought that was normal. Well, it led to some problems between my dad and I, and he eventually said, I think it's probably best that you, you know, leave and start your own, you know, out of nest, so to speak. And I was pretty terrified by that. And uh, I started to know that I had a little bit of a, my, my drinking and, and drug use was a little out of the norm compared to the rest. And so I decided that I was gonna join the army. Um, I knew that it would shock my dad uh, and it might just give me a little bit of discipline and, and clean me up and, um, and it worked. I found out it was kind of a Forrest Gump type story. You know, I went in the army and I learned real quick, all I had to do was keep my mouth shut do what I was told, and I fit in great. And so for a couple of years, um, I did that. I was out in Fort Campbell, Kentucky with the 101st. Um, this was right after 9-11, so you know, very active. Um, and strangely, um, I adapted well until 2005. Um, I got a notice, we were just about to deploy to Afghanistan, and a Red Cross helicopter flew into our training area which is never a good sign in the Army when the Red Cross flies in. It's usually to, to deliver bad news. And so the notice said that your father had been killed in an accident. And I think it's important at this point to, there's no faith in my family. My mother um, dabbled in, in Eastern philosophies forever. She went to India, you know, Buddhism one day, Taoism the next day. Um, never really stuck with any actual relationship with God. My father uh, was agnostic at best, and um, so I, I grew up agnostic and um, didn't even know what that term meant at the time. But looking back, I would say, you know, I believe there was a God, maybe, but he didn't matter to me. Well, when when my dad died, I didn't have, I wasn't equipped to process that kind of a loss, and. Um, it quickly sent me into a, 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 my then already worrisome um, alcohol and drug use went to extremely gross worrisome and it was medicinal. And I started using painkillers, I started using cocaine, um, washing it all down with alcohol. And um, the next 10 years of my life were just a series of trying to get it together, crash and burn, try to get it together. Because I had a college degree um, and personality that is easy to meet people. Um, I was able to maintain some successes, but it would just keep crashing and burning. About every three years was that cycle, for 10 years. So, um, 2018, um, I wound up in Bend, Oregon, 
I was kind of chasing the, the, ski, the ski bum life. Um, I wasn't really able to keep a job other than a restaurant job. Bartending was a really easy way to make money and you kind of fit right in when you have a drug and alcohol problem if you're a bartender. And so I'm living in Bend. Um, at this point, I can just barely keep it together. Um, very addicted to pain pills. Um, the opioid epidemic became headlines around that time, really started to become headlines. And they, they, the doctors that had been prescribing these medications to me um, decided that they were no longer going to prescribe them. And so in 2018, uh, I guess that would have been about spring, I experienced opioid withdrawals for the first time in my life. And it was completely debilitating. I, I had no idea how addictive these things were. Um, because I just always had it. And um, I went through about a week of just not being able to function. And I'll spare you the details of withdrawal, but I can tell you that it is the most painful and difficult thing I have ever gone through. And so um, someone at the restaurant finally noticed that I was looking really bad and introduced me into heroin. Um, from the first time I tried heroin, I knew it was the devil. I, I knew it was going to be the end of me. I wanted off of it from the moment I started it, but I couldn't because I needed to. I needed to be well, and so the next six months, um, I, every resemblance of what I had in life was completely burned to the ground. Now I have to deal with um, drug dealer types, so legal problems are mounting up. Um, in Bend, it's a really small community out there, and so as soon as you have a run-in with law enforcement, once they know who you are, and that just started to get worse and worse. Let me check my time here, or I will ramble on. Okay. Um, there was a particular drug dealer that we are going to call Crazy Cameron for the purposes of our story today. And Crazy Cameron, um, will later become my guardian angel, uh, was a, a particularly scary individual. Um, you know, the arms like twice the size of my thighs, which is not saying much, but they were big arms and tattoos. And um, he was the guy that if you didn't pay your, your debts to the drug dealer, he would come up and show up at your house and make sure you paid. Um, not the type of person that I normally associated with in my life, even up to date. So after um, a couple of weeks of this individual showing up at my house, I was living with this very sweet lady who worked at the restaurant, was really trying to help me out. Um, and he was showing up with a gun in the middle of the night at my house, like tapping on my window, terrified. I knew I had to get away from him. And I also knew I had to get away from heroin in his whole life. So I decided on, we are September, excuse me, uh, yes, end of September 2018. Decided to pack up my white Jeep Cherokee, my 99 Cherokee with everything I own. I had $50 to my name and a half a tank of gas. And I'm gonna drive to Portland because why not? Portland's close enough I can get there on a half a tank of gas. And I'd never been there before, so I could start over. I had my social security card, birth certificate, title to the car, everything that showed that I existed in the car and, and started. I made it to the Walmart parking lot in Troutdale. Um, I knew that it was a 24-hour store so that they would leave me alone. I could sleep in my Jeep and I was going to whiten up for that detox and start my life over again. Well, about five days of that, um, it's not going well. Um, and again, I'll spare you the details of opioid withdrawal, but it really requires medical attention. I mean, living in your car is a terrible place to do that. Um, I was in and out of the Walmart bathroom constantly. And on day five, I decide I can't do it. I, I need one more fix, one more hit of medicine to get me through. So I got on the phone. 
I, uh, I didn't even have cell service at this point. I'm poaching Wi-Fi off the Walmart, you know, store Wi-Fi. And I found a, a young lady in Bend who I knew would drive out and bring me some drugs. Um, it turns out that Crazy Cameron knew I was going to reach out to this particular girl. And he had hijacked her account or phone or something and found out where I was. So when I come out of the parking lot, excuse me, out of the store and into my car, Crazy Cameron's in the back underneath all my clothes with a gun. And he says, get in and drive. Terrified. I start driving the car. And he is um, intoxicated. I can see his eyes are bloodshot. He's just all over the place. And I'm just afraid. I think this is the end. He's going to kill me or worse, leave me on the side of the road, beat up you know, into a bloody pulp. And as I'm driving, I mean, I can see, I still remember the white knuckles on my steering wheel, sweat pouring out of my face. All of a sudden, he looks over at me in this very calm, rational voice. He says, don't worry. I'm not going to hurt you. God told me not this way. He has a plan for you. You need to go to rehab and you need to get your life together. In the moment, this did not register as significant. It registered as this guy's cuckoo and I'm going to jump out of the car while it's driving, roll down the hill and run away. Well, um, he doesn't hurt me. Uh, he, he has me pull over somewhere here in Portland. Um, he, at gunpoint, had me sign the title over to my Jeep. Um, he said that I owed him some money, which was probably true. And he drove off into the sunset, left me standing there. And there was this moment, very strange moment of serenity, where I just knew at 42 years old, this was the end. This was a rock bottom. This was, I was not willing to go below this. I'm now homeless with no car, no phone, no wallet. Even if I had a phone, there was no one in my life at that point who was going to answer. My mother had put up really tough love boundaries I'm so grateful for that today. Um, my father's deceased, my brother, same thing, tough love. Um, I didn't have any friends left. And so I'm standing there going, this, 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 is, this is the start of something new. The serenity quickly left, uh, fleeting as I started to panic and realized that I had nowhere to go. And um, the next thing I know, I woke up at a hospital at Kaiser Sunnyside. The nurse told me that I, someone found me unconscious, that I probably had a, a panic attack of some sort. Um, I was extremely malnutrition. I'm 6'3", I was 140 pounds, um, and, and just unhealthy. So they, they took mercy on me, and they um, checked me out. After about four days, they said, well, you're okay, you gotta go, where, where can we take you? And I told the nurse, I'm homeless for the first time in my life. Uh, and she looked at me, I won't forget, and she said, well, that's, problem. And so um, a social worker walked in and she said, so I hear you're homeless. And she's kind of looking at me like disbelief. Um, because despite my, my condition, I, I still looked like this. I, I was clean cut looking. And she said, you don't look homeless. Like, well, I don't know where to tell you. I don't have anywhere to go. So she gave me a little voucher, which I meant to bring some today and I forgot. It's a little pink carbon copy slip for city team that says this will give you a shelter, one night shelter, a, a meal, um, and a shower. And she told me she's going to be rough. This is not, this is a, in the city and it's a homeless shelter, but it's the best we can do. And so um, I showed up there, this is September 1st, excuse me, October 1st, 2018, which is what I consider my sobriety date today. And um, I went through the normal shelter process. Um, a few days, three days in a row, waiting in line like every other house's client. 
And um, finally on day three, a young man came out and I'm um, waiting in line and he said, you know, you don't really look like our typical shelter guest here. Do you maybe need some help? We have a program here. We have a discipleship. That word meant nothing to me at the time. Um, and it's a, it's a sobriety program, a treatment program. You get to live here for a year. You help us operate the shelter, cook meals, throw mats, you know, clean toilets, and you can stay here for free for a year and get sober and learn about God. So I said, why not? I had no other options. And, you know, this kid looked pretty, pretty clean cut and smart and had a place to live. I did not. And so the next year was, you know, just a, a, I kept an open mind. Um, City team, there's a lot of Bible studies. We have to go to church on a Sunday, uh, which I thought was very strange, but, you know, I needed a place to sleep, so we go to church for a bed, I'll go to church. Um, but I listened. I started to pay attention, and I started to feel something during the worship songs. A lot of tears started coming out uh, of my eyes. I hadn't cried in years because of the drugs. Um, and, and, and we're not done with Crazy Cameron, because all the while I'm thinking about Crazy Cameron, and, and him taking my Jeep. And I, you know, I, he really did me wrong. You know, I, I, I we're gonna, we had to get this guy with my Jeep back. So I'm 90 days into this program, right? 90 days of sobriety. And I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And I, now that I'm sober and I'm a Christian now, and I have the full weight of the legal system behind me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find Crazy Camera and we get my Jeep back. And the addict mind is a little obsessive. And when you have a lot of time on your hands, I spent nights at night laying in bed just thinking about this legal plan. I thought I came up with a pretty smart plan. So uh, I knew that I could find Crazy Cameron on Facebook because that's how he found me. And so I went down to the library, um, logged on to Facebook because they don't let you do that at City Team. I, I broke some rules. Don't tell the guys in the program now. Um, but I got down there and I logged on and you know, in Messenger, I don't know if you guys have Facebook, but in Messenger, you can see when someone's online, there's a green light next to their name, and Crazy Cameron was online, and I'm thinking, oh my God, this is, I got him. And right before I started typing, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm not going to hurt you. God told me, not this one. He has a plan for you. You need to go to rehab and get your life together. And it was just like this instant, all the Bible study and the Sunday church, the went from here right into my heart and I knew that God was real I knew he had been pursuing me before I even knew him he was there and he used a part and I, I don't know much about angelic possession or any of that but I will tell you this I am convinced that God used a criminal and a drug addict like Crazy Cameron to reach out to me and let me know that he had a plan for me and so um, it was a real aha moment it was when I, I truly became a Christian at that point, I knew, I knew that it was all real. And so I sent him a little message. I said, Frank Cameron, just want to let you know I'm in a Christian treatment center. I got 90 days clean. Thank you for what you did. Enjoy my Jeep. And uh, that was it. Uh, I deleted him after that and about 47 other unsavory contacts in my Facebook account. Um, and um, I will tell you that that, that, was a, that was a defining moment um, in my journey. And so... Uh, I have about 10 more minutes. That's the story. That's how I got here. Um, you know, there's some things on how I got to become the director of city team, and it's just been a series of just God shots, one after the other, blessings. Um, and the key to those blessings, in my experience, has been um, service, staying in service to others. One of the beautiful things about recovery is, is it's based on the model that you get sober, 
and then you work with other men and women in early recovery, and that's the principles of 12 steps of AA. Um, and so, um, Night Strike, we'll talk about that because this is how I discovered service and the value of it to me. Um, while I was in the program at City Team, Night Strike was a Thursday night thing that the guys could go down and get out of the house and, and volunteer. And all I heard at that time was get out of the house. Uh, because when you live in communal living with 50 other guys, it can be a little tight at times. And so I went down to this Night Strike thing and um, saw the people down there, and I thought, this is really weird. It's Thursday night, don't these people have a better better place to be? I mean, there's 100 people down here serving, excuse me, the houseless. And I, that, that didn't register in my belief system, you know. I had really focused on what I could get um, in life, and what I could get out of the people I knew, and um, I thought the relationships that people had with me were because of what, are they, what I could do for them. And so this concept of serving people just to serve didn't, did not make sense to me. And I remember scratching my head and really thinking about this while I was down there, but I kept going. We got the week, and I started to meet friends down there, and um, people started to pour into me and, and, and kind of help develop me. And I remember, um, well, one particular I remember well, uh, I met my wife at Night Strike, Andrea. Was down volunteering at this point. I had become part of the leadership team, um, and I was running the orientation beforehand. And I was up on stage and telling everybody what to expect and welcome to Night Strike. And I see this very attractive young lady by herself in the back, which is not something you see at Night Strike. Usually, it's groups, church groups, school groups. You know, you don't usually see single women by themselves coming to volunteer, but I did, and um, I made sure to introduce myself to her that night. Um, we became friends, and um, she has been a Christian her whole life. Um, she was saved at a Billy Graham concert when she was five years old, and uh, I thought that was pretty cute. And I thought, this is the kind of person I need to be with because, you know, find a good Christian girl. That's what everybody told me. Um, I did not know what was ahead of me dating as a Christian. That was um, a challenge for me, and I will tell you that um, there were many mentors that guided me through that process. And let's just say, Walking with the Lord while dating properly is the hardest thing I have ever done. But it's the, sh the thing that has strengthened my recovery because it's the same muscle to walk with God until you're married. It's the same muscle to say no to drugs and alcohol. And it strengthened that muscle. And I'm convinced that God has blessed Andrea and I beyond belief because of that, um, in part partially because of that. And we stay in service together. We were committed to, um, to doing things together, and um, I, I will say that today, the reason that I stay in service is because service is a basic human need. Um, it's, in, it's embedded in me as much as is the need to eat or sleep. Um, I didn't know that in my whole life prior to coming to uh, meeting the Lord and getting sober was a constant grind of trying to climb corporate ladders, trying to build status, trying to build wealth, and it just kept crashing and burning, and it just, I was so empty inside. And today, knowing um, that service is the one thing that fulfills me more than anything else, it's the, it's the thing that keeps me going during the day. And the other magical thing I learned about service, um, as 
somehow when I'm worrying and taking care of, not worrying, but when I'm serving others and taking care of others' needs, my needs get met. And I just, that blew my mind. I remember the moment I realized that. And so I'm going to keep doing it. So today, my life is built around service. Um, and City Team, uh, it's not a job that I, I ever thought I would be in. I thought once I got sober, I would get back to the business world and um, be a Silicon Valley executive, just like my dad. And um, here I am, leading a very Christian organization to save my life today, which is just the honor of a lifetime.